1099. Page 1099. We're in the passage that Lydia read last week. We're kind of uh, just sitting in here for, um, well, certainly this week. We're giving ourselves a little bit of a spiritual MOT. If any of you own a car, you'll know that uh, even if it's running really well, everything's fine. You take it in for an MOT every now and then just to check that it is actually as fine as you think it is. And uh, so we're doing the same kind of thing, a little spiritual MOT as we head into autumn and towards Advent and Christmas. So we're here with this uh, passage, Paul um, writing to the Corinthians. Chapter 10, I'm going to read the first five verses. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Just flick over the page, um, or page or two, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, page 1109, and a sort of follow-up reading. On, on a similar vein, Paul, um, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he's, again, he's sort of saying that we're in a, a, a kind of spiritual wrestle, there's a tussle, um, and I want you to be victorious in it. Just, just to sort of skip our way over the, the, the kind of core of the letter here, in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about their condition as they were in spiritual terms. As for you, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you, you used to be dead to God. And by the end of this chapter, he kind of talks about what God has done in Jesus Christ. So that by the end of the chapter, look, verse 22, he says, And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Wow. So you were completely dead to God outside his plans and purposes. And, and now you're, you're like the house in which God lives. And so chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, because of what God is doing in us, making us a building where he can live. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he breaks off, he kind of gets sidetracked. It was a great encouragement to me. I'm not the only one. And he goes on to sort of basically give his testimony. And so he comes back to it in verse 14. Again, for this reason. What reason? Well, the reason in chapter 2, that what God has done in Christ to make you a building where he lives. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And this is the prayer he prays for these people and for us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So just flick back with that that unbelievable prayer ringing in our ears. Flick back to um, the text that we'll focus on today. 2 Corinthians 10, page 1099. And uh, as you do that, let me pray. Father, as we kind of invite you to lift the bonnet, as it were, on the engine of our lives to run your tests to inspect us by way of spiritual MOT. Please uh, clean us, adapt us, tweak whatever needs to be tweaked in us, challenge us, inspire us, Lord, so that we function fully for you in the drive of life. Bless us now, we pray. Teach us. Sit with us. Open scripture to us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we see. For your sake, amen. Amen. Um, If you were here last week, Lydia's on a a course at the moment uh, out in the States, actually. Um, uh, She preached last week. Absolutely fantastic. So if you haven't had the chance to to download it on our uh, uh, pods on the the, uh, website, then please do. Uh, And she started to use visual aids and things. So I thought, oh, I've got to up my game. (laughs) Uh, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off with my first visual aid here, which is of this sponge, um, and this is like this is like you know, it's just easy in the front row here. So uh, this is like most of our lives, it's certainly like my life before I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a teenager. In that uh, this bowl represents the water here, and this represents spiritual things. The, the, the Bible talks about the sort of spirit realm or the heavenly realm that is all around us, and. Um, I, I kind of had minimal engagement, minimal molecular contact with God. Uh, I knew roughly what the inside of a church looked like, but I certainly wouldn't have called myself a Christian. And, and, and take me out of that context, and it quickly runs off, and I get on with normal life. Uh, and I was kind of, there's a little bit of pressure, I suppose, from a, a friend of mine at school invited me to go to the Christian meeting. So there's the pressure, and uh, long story short, I remember praying a prayer, asking God to come into my life through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection the fact that he's alive today means I can know him in a brand new way. And I can, I can immerse myself in the things of God. That was the invitation that I recognized and received. And, and so I guess this sponge now describing what it is to live a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled life. It's what it is to be a Christian, a born-again Christian. It's not a sort of weird American version of Christianity. It's what Jesus describes it as. To be born again, John 3. And to be born again is to be immersed in, in, in the heavenly realms, in the spirit realm. But, but just for the purposes of this MOT and to pick up on, on uh, Lydia's talk last week where we live between the trees. Uh, that will make sense if you're here, if you've heard it. Uh, if that doesn't make sense, download it, listen to it, and then it will. Uh, but to, as, we, as we live between the trees, we live in this, this what has happened then, but we're waiting for what God is, is yet to do. We're like this sponge. We're looking to be and need to be full of the life of God, the spirit of God. 
because we leak. Life kind of squeezes us. Our, our, our boss makes demands of us. The clients are demanding that. That uh, uh, phone call you had was tricky and added more work. Uh, the housemates I'm with are not getting on so well. Difficulties within the family. So I leak the life and the spirit of God. So that's why we gather and why it's so important to gather as Christians from time to time so that we can focus on God, be filled with his spirit. But, but to help the framework here, two reasons that I think is helpful to bear in mind as to why the water is soaking into that sponge. First reason is because the sponge is porous. It's, um, this is obviously uh, an artificial thing, but if it's a real sponge, but as an artificial sponge it still works, it's, it's designed, it's been manufactured to receive water. It's designed to be porous. And, and so are we. We are, if you like, spiritual beings clothed in a soul living in a body. And at our very core, at our very center, we are created to be porous to the things of God. That the heavenly realm that is all around us is, is we, we, are, we are designed, created to receive it in. To, to breathe it in, to drink it in, to welcome him, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. So that's one reason why the water is in the sponge, because the sponge is porous. But the other reason, at the same time, why the water is in the sponge is because the water is exerting a pressure on the sponge. As soon as the sponge enters the water, the water exerts a pressure, a, a benign pressure. But nevertheless, that's what enables the, the sponge to receive the water in, partly because it's porous, and partly because there's a pressure so to do. And in the context of this spiritual MOT, as we live as porous beings to God, we live within an atmosphere, if you like, a, a, a realm, as the Bible calls it, a, a, a sort of space where the spirit realm, the spirit element of that space, exerts a pressure on us for good or ill. There is God and all his angels longing, willing, rejoicing, praying to, to make an atmosphere that is conducive to living for him. And that exerts a pressure on us. It, it, we, we, we know deep down, like deep down in, in here in our core, we know what it is to be good. When something is truly beautiful or courageous or noble, when there is harmony in creation, we, we hear it in a wonderful symphony. We might see it depicted in a beautiful piece of art. Uh, we might watch an incredibly athletic sporting performance. The, the majesty of creation, and it feels so good. There's something so good about the spirit realm that presses in on us. And there's something in us that is created to receive that. Paul talks about the uh, letter of the law ultimately kills, but the spirit brings life. And Jesus, when he was here, he said, John 10.10, 10, we've got this verse just to refresh us. He uses again a, a contrast to bring it out. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. And on the occasion of Jesus' confession of, of who he was, uh, sorry, Peter's confession of who Jesus was, 
He said, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says by way of response, yeah, Peter, you've got it. And on that confession, on that recognition of who I am, he says this, Matthew uh, 16. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So there, if you like, is, is something of a framework that we live as uh, in, a, in a sort of physical body, in a, in, a, in a physical world, things we can touch and feel and, and measure and taste and hear, sort of things that we can see with our, if you like, our physical eyes. But we also live at the same time, like this sponge, in the water. We live surrounded by, immersed by the spirit realm or the heavenly realms. Again, not so easy to see uh, with the, the naked eye, as it were, the human eye, but no less real for that. Uh, on a hot, sunny day, with most of us are sort of white or pinky skin, uh, if you go out in the midday sun and you don't pay attention to the UV rays that you can't see, you can feel the heat, but you can't see the rays, and yet if you don't go and put some sun cream on, you will burn, and you can burn quite badly. The, the, the unseen realm, as it were, can do you damage unless you take protective measures. And in the same way, a, good, a bit of sunlight does us the world of good. Sort of vit B and melanin and all that kind of stuff, it, it, it's healthy, it's good. But to excess, it can be bad. And in the same way, in the spirit realm, to open ourselves, to immerse ourselves to the good things of God, to, to be porous to them, is a good thing. So here's my question. How are we doing? <laughs> if this is an MOT, as it were, how are we doing? Are, are we, would we describe ourselves and those we know in our groups and triplets, are we just so, we're so full of the Spirit of God? Or are we, if we're honest, a little bit like this sponge now, kind of able to, it must have trickle, <laughs> but essentially we're, we're dry. What is it that, causes us to dry up such that if I can continue with this analogy we try and live the spiritual life without the spirit that leads to striving to be good or we become defeated and passive and apathetic either striving or just defeated but not as God intended why is that? And Paul suggests that the answer is tucked away here in this little passage. It, it, the inference here is that we look to fight the wrong kind of battle. We, we, we wrestle in the wrong way, if I can pick up on Lydia's uh, language from last week. Look at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We, we've analyzed the battle. We, we recognize a number of us that actually our, our lives are not as fruitful, as successful, if I'm honest, not as joyful sometimes as I would expect them to be. Somehow my life doesn't, if I'm honest, my life doesn't match up with the words of the songs we sing here. Some of the aspirations that are preached from the front and some of the things we say about ourselves describe in the Christian life. And if I'm really honest, I say to myself, you might say to yourself, 
it doesn't quite match up. Maybe it's because we're trying to fight the battle that we experience on a Monday to Friday, a typical week. We're trying to fight the battle with the wrong weapons. We've misinterpreted the life in which we're living. On the contrary, Paul says, middle of verse 4, they have defined the weapons that God calls us to fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In our minds, where we conceive things, pretensions and thoughts and arguments, lines of reasoning, that's where the battle is waged, as Lydia so eloquently put last week. And that's where we need to be aware, not only of where the battle is, but of how we engage with the battle in order that we can be victorious. In order that we can be continually full to overflowing with the life of God. We can have that life and life in all its fullness, no matter what the circumstances. Fullness in times of trial and test. Fullness when it just feels bleak. Fullness when there appears to be no hope. Full, full, so that we just leak Jesus. And the key is to recognize these strongholds. Did you see the, the reference to it here in Scripture? For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to demolish strongholds. What is a stronghold? It's just any distorted or twisted way of seeing or thinking about God that becomes established in us. It begins with a, a thought. It might be a thought like, I'm not sure that God is all he's cracked up to be by these Christians. <laughs> I'm not sure he's always there. I'm not sure he knows about me and what I'm going through. Essentially, it boils down to, I'm not sure I feel safe in this, seems like fairly capricious world, random world. Things happen that I can't explain. No one seems to be able to explain. And maybe the thinking goes like this. Actually, as I look around at other people who appear to be succeeding in life, I need to have just a little bit more money. Because if I could just get a little bit more money, then I could buy this and have that. I could get on the property ladder, and that would secure me with a house and a home. That means I've got a space for friends, family. Uh, I'm secured in that way. And I could do this and do that and do the... That is the way in which I will secure myself. And so you begin to walk down that line of making, to put it crudely the acquisition of money, your goal, your idol. And it seems good. It feels good. I can buy this. I can do that. I have power through the transactions that money enables me to, to, to have. And what's been just a little, Paul calls a, a foothold for the devil. Just, you know, you're climbing up a really steep rock face. And uh, you, you're desperate. You just want a, a handhold or a foothold to secure yourself so you can, you can reach up to the next hold. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, 
don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him anything to hold on to in your life. Don't let him attach himself to that thought and develop it in your mind. You know the old dictum, you sow a thought and you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a behavior. You sow a behavior and you reap a habit. They say that it takes about six weeks to either make or break a habit. But that habit, which takes six weeks to break or make, starts with a tiny thought. Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Because before we know it, in that whole process, unchecked, we've not only given him a foothold, we've given him a whole bivy site. He can make himself at home and settle himself in. He can make a, create a stronghold. They talk about don't they, the, the, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and so on, who largely it would appear in a military sense on the losing side. But my goodness, they can wreak havoc. They can create havoc around the world. They can do untold damage just with little pockets that they call military strongholds. So they're being uh, swept out largely, thankfully, largely out of large parts of occupied territory, former occupied territory. But they still hold on to strongholds, little positions, fortified positions of power. And if we're honest, most of us, when we, when we kind of allow God's MOT of our lives, most of us wrestle with strongholds that squeeze the life of God out of us. They inhibit the way in which we can think. They reduce the freedom that we have because they set up false pretensions, false arguments, false truths, non-truth about God. By the way, Satan's chief weapon in his armory is deception. Yes, he'll confront you. And he'll tempt you. But normally, when you're tempted, you are aware you're being tempted. I mean, you might give in to temptation, but at least you're aware it's there. You know the power of temptation. He can accuse you. The Bible describes Satan as an accuser. But the thing is, when you're accused by someone, you normally know you're being accused. But his chief weapon is deception. Because by definition, if you have been deceived, you don't know it. That's what he's always looking to do. To, to convince you that actually you're not dry. What was the first thing he said to Eve in the, in the garden? You will not die. God had given an express command. You can have freedom in the garden. So much freedom. Enjoy the whole thing. Just not that fruit from that tree. Or you will surely die. What's the first thing? No, you won't. Deceives Eve. And that's sown into the, the, the spiritual fabric, the unseen fabric of the world in which we live, convinces us by distorting the truth about God that this is how it really is. Harvey Weinstein. I, I don't wanna, it's very easy to jump just on kind of the pariah of the moment, but how has that been allowed to exist for so long? All these awful stories that are, are tumbling out, and we, we're all accountable, men and women, how? Unless, as the Bible says, the God of this age has blinded our eyes. 
we've not seen how we've been deceived into men and women living beautifully and wonderfully and creatively in Hollywood, for goodness sake. This is where, this is meant to be the heart of creativity. Sullied. With us individually, it's just the way I am. We, we put up, oh no, it's just me. That's just how I am. Really? Or is someone trying to deceive us into the real truth of who we really are in Christ? That uh, confession that, that Max read earlier, from, or the, the words from 1 John, uh, if we say we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves. Strongholds, the enemy, who's, we've given a little foothold, and that is sown into a stronghold in our life. The good news is, that Paul says, we have the power to demolish strongholds. But we need to recognize that they're part of us through the way in which we think. Quick uh, illustration, apparently I read of a, an experiment they did on a pike, you know, the big sort of predatory freshwater fish. Uh, and they put it into quite a big aquarium with a whole load of minnows. And then just sort of waited to see what would happen. And sure enough, as soon as the pike decided it was lunchtime, uh, two or three of these minnows were gobbled up, thank you very much. And so that went on for a bit. They put in more minnows, and, and that was kind of how it happened. And then what they did as part of the experiment was they got a, a glass, a sheet of glass, and they divided the tank in two, and they put the pike in one half and the minnows in the other. And for the next hours, even days, the pike is frustrating itself mental by bashing against the glass things. It's trying to get the minnows, and the minnows are sort of trying to die for cover. But after a few days, the, the thoughts, action, behavior, habit, the minnows are a little bit emboldened because they haven't been eaten in the last three or four days. And so they're starting to sort of swim around, kind of, I don't know how minnows swim, but I'm just <laughs> sort of, but you know, they're just, hey, and the pike, the pike is being pacified. The pike is, every now and then it would, and then just, and after two or three days where the pike is just swimming in its bit and the minnows, minnows are swimming in this bit, to complete the experiment, they took out the glass. What happened? The pike just swam amongst the minnows, and the minnows swam amongst the pike. Both sets of fish had changed their pattern of thinking. And we, so often, we live like the minnows used to live, in fear, we hide away, oh, it's pike. Actually, in Christ, we have the power to live like the minnows now live, around the pike, who is the one who has been defeated and one day will be destroyed. It's a call to change our mindset by demolishing the strongholds of the enemy within. So how does the enemy gain access to our mind in this way? Where do these arguments and pretensions and so on come from? And I want to make reference with this uh, a diagram here to a book. Uh, it's kind of, it's written by a uh, child psychologist and a pediatrician. It's a chap called Dr. Ross Campbell. Um, and uh, he's written, it was basically a parenting or parenting books, um, How to Really Love Your Child and How to Really Love Your Teenager, among other books. But it's in those two books that he talks about uh, all of us being made with um, what I've called, I don't think it's his term, but I've called them love or truth tanks. Can you imagine that in, in the middle of every human being, 
when they're born, from the moment they're born, all the way through their development, even as adults, we have these tanks in us. And they're kind of put there by God, I would want to say. I think Ross Campbell would too. C- created there to be full. Th- th- this is, this is what, when, we, when we immerse ourselves in the spirit realm, it's our love and truth tanks that are filled with the presence and the goodness of God. But the reality is that as God's parenting, our, our Father in heaven, as that's mediated through human agency, our mum and dad, if they were around for us, then inevitably, even if you, you, you had the most amazing experience as childhood, inevitably, as finite human beings, we will fall short of the glory of God. And so these tanks, whilst designed to be full, won't be completely full. If, I, if you will forgive the self-reference, but should I use myself as an example? He talks about the tank being sort of divided into three. The, the vital need to feel you belong. We've talked about that when we talk about get connected, get involved. We're trying to model what is essential to to the human psyche, to feel that we belong ultimately to God and his family and and mediated through belonging to one another. It's a vital human need to feel valued and to feel significant. So um, I'm just approximating, but I reckon on the belonging, I'm sort of, there. My mum and dad are still alive, they're still together and still alive, living down on the, on the south coast. And uh, I know that they love me. But um, belonging, uh, Ross Campbell argues, is, is communicated primarily through physical touch, through appropriate physical touch. So hugs and holding hands and just sitting together on the sofa or cuddling, goodnight stories of bed, that kind of thing. Uh, my, my mum and dad are, are not so great on the, they're not the most physical people. And so my sister and I, we weren't, we weren't showered with physical touch as, as children growing up. I would say that my tank is kind of quite full on that one, but not completely full. Valued. The value is conferred through um, focused attention. Like I'm listening not just with my ears, but with my eyes as well. I'm creating time and space. So I'm listening to you 100%. I'm not listening to you and... uh, uh, uh. I reckon I'm quite low on that one. And the reason is because from the age of 13 to 18, I, I uh, I went to boarding school which I loved, by the way, and I, I willingly, often people say he was sent to the boarding school as if it's like prison sentence. I loved it, absolutely loved it, great sport, great, I had a great time. What I didn't realize actually until some time later, and it's taken me most of the rest of my life and I'm still in process, is that in the five years that I was away from mum and dad, they, they loved me, but they weren't there for me. And with the best will in the world, my housemaster and certainly my matron don't equate to mum and dad. So in terms of, I, I knew they sent me letters and uh, wrote and they came to watch me play sport. And I, came, I, I, knew, I knew there that they loved me and they still love me. But, but the kind of deficit was on occasions here when I'd done badly in a chemistry test or I'd been dropped from the team or X or Y had just been a bit off with me. And I was just feeling a little like I could have done with someone who I knew loving me giving me just that attention, listening, valuing me. And they weren't there then. 
So that, that tank's a little bit more empty. Significance. This is, uh, Ross Campbell argues, comes through words. Uh, it's speaking into the character of who we are, as well as the gifts and abilities, what we have and what we can contribute. And it, it paves the way for who we, who we can be in the future. It, it, it's, it's like a, you know, we speak into people's lives to open up options for how they might live for God. And again, I, I would say actually that one is quite high because mum and dad have always been really encouraging of me and my sister. And also, in their absence, I was part of a Christian youth group. I'd come to Christ and joined a Christian youth group with um, father figures in it. And I, I'm privileged to say I've been mentored, I feel, well, consistently, if not well, certainly consistently. Uh, I feel it was good, but you, you'd be the judge of what the fruit of it is. Um, so maybe that's even just a little bit higher. I, I had people who were looking out for me speaking into my life, affirming me, encouraging me. So that you could, I'd encourage you, maybe a little exercise this week is to do a little inventory on, on how valued and, and cherished, how much love and truth you have received in terms of belonging, in terms of being valued, in terms of knowing your significance. But the thing is, there's, there's this deficit. We know that our tank is not completely full. And here's the thing. Because we, we, we're, we're created to be soaking in God's love and truth. Where we sense there's a deficit, unless we go to the Father for his love and his affirmation through Jesus Christ, who John described as full of grace and truth. We go to him, we go to the Spirit, the Spirit of life. We seek the fruit of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit. Unless we go to the triune God, we'll seek love and affirmation and comfort. We'll seek to protect hurts from somewhere else or someone else. I'll, I'll leave you to just join the dots on why there is such a, an, an epidemic of 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 the whole sort of the whole sexual world, we've looked at this in our seminars and so on. But but you look at the, the, well, the again, I've mentioned one individual in Hollywood, but it's rife. We, IJM, this Dominican Republic office that we're supporting, it is an exponential rise in cyber sex in the 21st century. How many hundreds of years after Wilberforce had abolished slavery, and it's rocketing because we're looking under the power of very strong strongholds we're looking to shore up the gaps in our love tanks that have become deeply entrenched sin patterns because we don't find it from our father we'll seek it elsewhere the enemy looks to dry us out so that we try and live the spirit life without the spirit and we either it either leads to despair because we can't do it or it leads to a desperate striving which itself gives breath to other patterns and strongholds. Hence the prayer in Ephesians 3. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, God's love, may have power. Do you notice the word? You may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ to fill your tank. Immerse yourself in the things of God. You're a porous being, 
allow the, the pressure, if you like, of the spirit realms to so fill you that your tank is filled, then you will be able, where does it say that? It does somewhere, hang on. Uh, to, all, uh, to know this love that's part of knowledge, verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. This is his dream, not just for us here in Pastor's Green, but for all Christians, all people around the world. Finally, we've looked at the reality of strongholds. We've looked at how the enemy has access to our minds. How do these strongholds form in us? Finally, how can we, how can we as Paul says here, how can we demolish the strongholds that we're so prone to? Three things, revelation, ownership, and naming them to bring them out into the light. Revelation. Like, it, it took successive layers of revelation for me to realize the kind of love deficit that I had. Because on the surface, I had a great mum and dad. I wonder if this is being recorded, they picked this up. Mum and dad, I love you dearly. You've done a fantastic job, if I may say. <laughs> you may disagree. And yet, it, it, just, there was just a lack of their presence at a key time in my development. And I recognized that. But it took me some time. It, it, it didn't make logical sense because in all, if you line it all up logically, mum and dad have teamed him. And yet I, I knew as I came to Christ, and particularly as I came into the fullness of things, I knew there was, there had been, I'd, I'd been living out of a love deficit. That took revelation. Paul prays to the church in uh, Ephesus, the, the, uh, an earlier prayer to the one we read. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's interesting. It's not, not eyes of your head, what you see in the, in the material world, in the physical world. No, he's not talking about it. It's the eyes of the heart that can see, if you like, the spirit realm, can sense the spirit realm. I pray that those eyes are opened so that you can see. Pray to God. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a bit squeezed out. I'm feeling a bit dry. I, I, I don't, if I'm honest, Lord, if I'm honest, I don't feel like my life is full of you. Can you... Will you show me what the blockages are? Will you show me where the enemy has kind of done like that pike? Reveal to me. That's why we encourage triplets here. That's why we encourage getting involved in a life group, uh, prayer partners, whatever it is. Uh, and whenever it is, if you, I know some of the evenings are difficult. Can you meet over a lunchtime? That's why we have a, we've got a, a work postcode thing. You tap in your postcode and you can see who works within 50 yards of you. Is it conceivable that once a fortnight you could have half an hour over a sandwich just to help one another open your life to them and receive their life as well so that we can speak truth and love into each other's lives so that we can demolish, help one another to demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against Christ. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get that job because I, I, you know, I, I, just don't think I'm, I just don't think I'm good enough. Well, maybe there were better candidates, but where did this uh, condemnation come from? Let's not talk down on ourselves when we think of who we are in Christ. I'll never this, I always that. It's defeatist language. 
and we help one another to maybe identify through that language, is there maybe a little stronghold at play? Leads into the second thing, own your strongholds. Uh, own your stronghold. Own your own patterns of twisted thinking, distorted thinking in relation to God. When you become aware of it, oh yeah, that's, that's a stronghold. The temptation comes strong because the enemy wants to, he doesn't want you to snuff, suss him out. So the enemy will deceive you here and he'll try and convince you that it's, it's not really your fault. It's someone else. Whenever you're tempted, if feeling uncomfortable, whenever you're tempted to feel, uh, to blame someone else or to defend yourself, it's often a sure sign, so my wife tells me, <laughs> that there's a stronghold at work. Well, yeah, I, I know about this with me, but you, and as soon as I look to justify my action or to apportion blame, I'm nearly always doing something i'm trying to just dodge and weave the reality that actually i'm still a work in progress and the only person who can deal with your strongholds is you i i can't tell you to to recognize and to deal with your strongholds. i can't help you to demolish your strongholds only you can in christ thirdly and i think this helps name them be, be real. We as a, and I'm generalizing here, but for those of us that are British or even worse, perhaps English in this context, we are so good at just understating stuff. I felt a little bit peeved, we say. No, that was probably anger. <laughs> but you've dressed it up. Feeling a little bit, I'm just feeling a little bit anxious in my spirit. Well, that's probably worry. Actually, or maybe even fear. Name it. Name it. See, we, when, we, when we belittle it, we, again, we collude with Satan. Oh, it's nothing really. No, this is a stronghold that is robbing you of the life of God. That's quite a big deal, actually. Don't collude with Satan. Oh, I'm feeling a little bit anxious. Confess the fear. Name it. Name it. Because when you name it, when you actually, when you speak it out, maybe even out loud, you get it into the light. It's not hidden here in the murky decks where Satan would love to keep it so he can, he can hold you. When it's out in the light, when we walk in the light, John says, when we confess our sins, we walk in light, he cleanses us from all impurity. Even to state, I've been tempted by this, I've been wrestling with that. For me, again, although significance is a high one, often when the pressure's on, I can, I can tend to withdraw from others. And the, and the little blamey, victimy tone and tune that I sing is one of insignificance. Oh, it just, it's typical. It would just, yeah, it would be, oh, it's just, it's, it's sort of poor old me. We'll never be able to this, or I'll never be able to that. Which actually, in a sense, if you, if you look at my life, if you measure it on a number of objective scales, it's ridiculous. Compared to the world, I, I have so much. You have so much. And yet the language of significance that can sometimes come out of my, is ridiculous. Job sometimes just says, hold up a mirror. I'm, I'm fortunate here in the, being married. I have, I have someone who will occasionally put me on the spiritual naughty step. Say, so sort yourself out. You've got a stronghold. Come back when you've repented. <laughs> Pretty literally, actually. I can see another husband nodding. But when we name it, when we're real, when we don't try and cover it up, then we fear, so I can get to the root of fear. Anger, I, 
I can get to the root of anger. Why am I angry? Often it's because I feel like I feel slightly insignificant, so I don't feel I'm as powerful as I feel I ought to be. So I start I'm wrestling, punching in myself because I'm frustrated. Recognize that. Am I really that insignificant? No, not, that's not how God sees me. So I, I align myself where I got out of kilter, where I've got wrung out. I just get back in. Porous being, soaked in the spirit. I align myself with the truth as God sees me. 